fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we are talking people eaters, both the human and non human kind. Yes. <laughs> Many varieties. We got Inhuman Marshmallow, and then the post-apocalyptic, we're running out of food, let's eat humans regardless because overpopulation, woo! I mean, I think it's inevitable, really. I mean, if we're going to talk about the, the socioeconomics of it, I just think that it's... The people who just tuned into this show are like, oh god, what is this? Spoiler alert, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Today we are talking about Larry Cohn's 1985, The Stuff. Should I do the next one? I, I assumed you would. And then we are also talking about 1973's Silent Green. Directed by who? Mm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's a Charlton Heston movie. Nobody cares who directed it. Who directed Planet of the Apes? Mm. I don't know. Charlton Heston? Like, for all I know, he did everything. I but... didn't know Charlton Heston was in it because I just didn't know nor care. <laughs> and here we are. You know who I do care about? The villain in this movie. Who is the villain? He uh... looked like a retro Willem Dafoe. Oh, you mean the bodyguard. I don't know. He's, yeah, he's the bodyguard of the, bad guy. the old guy who dies, who then is essentially hired by the company to cover the shit up. One of the bad. He's a hired goon. But who is he? It, um, Internet, tell me. <laughs> I don't know, but he definitely has a very 1970s Scandinavian face. Yeah, we were saying that while we were watching it, that if you cut anybody from the 70s and pasted them now, they would just not fit in with their bone structure. It's weird. Humans change. Yeah. It's, and that's only like a half a generation. Right? It's it's how I know that time travel doesn't exist. That and physics, I guess. But Wouldn't that be weird? Because if we went back, we have such soft people faces. People would just be like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> He's never worked on a farm. Let's hang him. <laughs> Lynch. Lynch. <laughs> Lynch. 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 And you're like, David Lynch? Mom. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> And that is my millennial teleplay. <laughs> right, that's that's the 2017 version of the lottery. <laughs> you guys they... don't have Roku? <laughs> I don't even know what Roku is. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. Is it like the Google Cast? <laughs> it's similar. Yeah, it's it's very similar. It's like Google Cast and Netflix had a baby. At the fear that this might that go baby on was forever. Like Hulu's big brother, her little brother, cousin. Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? We just got back from Frightmare in the Falls. We spent a weekend in Niagara Falls. They had a convention there. It was horror-themed, so of course we were there. Fuck yeah, we were. Horror Comic-Con, more or less, we'll call it, in Niagara Falls. Of course we'd be there. Special guests this year at Frightmare included Kane Hodder, Bill Johnson from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alex Vincent from Child's Play, and Dan Yeager, another Leatherface. I wish they had a sword fight. That would have been fucking incredible. What? And dangerous. A, sword, a dueling sword fight of chainsaws is what I'm getting at. It was a convention. They took photos and signed DVD covers. 
I would have posed for a photo where it looked as though they were having a sword fight with chainsaws. A chainsaw fight, as as it's known. Another big one for me that you guys might be unfamiliar with, I hope you are, if not, you gotta check it out on YouTube. Uh, Mitch Markowitz from the Hilarious House of Frankenstein was there. We've seen him at Fan Expo before, he's friggin' hilarious. If you're unfamiliar with the Hilarious House of Frankenstein, it is every- is it Frankenstein or Frankenstein? Frankenstein. You said Frankenstein. Did I? You did. I meant to say Frankenstein. Well, you didn't. That's okay. It also has Vincent Price in the show. It's essentially a kids program, a variety show for kids with horror movie icons. That's fun. Yeah, like the Wolfman is a DJ, I guess because Wolfman Jack. See, I was never into it, but I assumed it was like the Addams Family. No, it's off the wall. It's one of those shows that college kids used to watch a lot after smoking pot. Wasn't it Canadian? Yes. Okay. Very Canadian. Why was Vincent Price in it? They paid him? Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, like, we're close enough to the border that it also broadcast out to, like, Buffalo and New York. Mm. So it, it's amassed a bit of a following, and obviously with the internet, it's expanded since then. It's like there. Great Lakes Horror. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the Great Lakes Horror Jam. Burie. Mm. Jamboree's a word no one uses anymore. Mm. I would like to start a horror convention called the Horror Jamboree. Oh, I like that. That sounds great, right? Yeah. Yeah, we could get, like, creep show Musicians, to play. Yeah. And we'll get, like, a skeleton band. We'll do, like, a Kat Von D and sort we'll have of burlesque some show. sort of chili cook-off. Oh, right? there. Like, and you have to name it after horror things, like, like Batwing Chili and <laughs> Chili of the Damned. Oh, my God. That one wins alone. I don't even have to taste it. <laughs> so it's happening then, the horror. Jamboree. Look for it in 2018, guys. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do at Fan Expo and Comic Con whenever we go is walk the floor. I like to check out vendors. That is my favorite thing to do. Maybe yeah. it's just because this was strictly horror and a lot of the conventions we go to is everything. It's all the fandoms at once, so you Absolutely. have to find your little niche zone. Yeah. But this was just horror. So every booth had something awesome to check out. There was a lot of art. There was tons of t-shirts. There was tons of merchandise. It was horror overload. Oh, it's amazing. It was still used to having to go, oh, what's this? Is it horror? And it, like, it still took time to click in. Like, everything, everything. you see here <laughs> is something you want to look at. That was great. I assume this is what anime conventions are like for people who are <laughs> into anime. I had that thought the entire time we were at the convention. Because it's probably one of the first, like, strictly horror things we've done. Most of the bigger ones are blended. Mm -hmm. So it was it was fun to be like, horror? Horror. This is also horror. This is horror. And in terms of cosplay, it's the one time that I've really been able to point and say, like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what that is. Like, <laughs> yeah. I haven't been lost whatsoever. There was one guy who followed me at one point, though. We were making our way through, like, a heavy part of the crowd, and he was like, hey, nice beard. And I honestly only really saw him out of the corner of my eye, so I think he was Jason. But he definitely had a very real-looking machete close to my face and said, looks like you need a shave. Weird. And I could not get away faster. <laughs> That was the one thing about this convention that I don't think I've noticed at other conventions. A lot of people were in character. There was a Sam from Trick or Treat that was mm. hanging out near the front. There was this haunted house kind of attraction set up. He, I don't think he was working with them, and he was just scaring people. And I had to take a detour like around Christine to avoid him. I was like, <laughs> not for me, thanks. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Christine was also there. She was so cool. Yeah, really looking great for her age. <laughs> Even now, it's, it's, you know, old Hollywood class, gorgeous. She's a hybrid of a whole bunch of different parts oh, from Young Cars. Oh, that so. sounds... She's a Frankenstein yeah, Christine. Yeah, so she's like the the handle of the axe kind of thing. So she is Christine now because she's got so many parts from other Christines, but I don't think her body was originally... I, I talk... Her body... Yeah, body by player. <laughs> so I sing. Precisely. We've diluted it down enough that you can still drive her without killing anybody or yourself. 
So that's nice. But she does tend to lock the car on her own. Yeah, and don't bother changing the radio station. That's, <laughs> that's like, hers, no, no, no. yeah. <laughs> Christine, we've listened to Blue Moon 36 times this week. <laughs> you saw me standing alone. <laughs> If you guys want to see what the festival looked like, head over to NOFS Podcast on Twitter or Nightmare on Film Street on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, we did have a lot more in our story during the weekend. Some of them have kind of expired by now, but there's tons of photos up there from our trip on the weekend. We took a really cool photograph in a horror-inspired set that was completely interactive. You could take, like, weapons off the wall and yeah. stuff. The Kill Shack is what it was called. So we have a couple photos of us in the Kill Shack messing around. It was super fun. It was great. Literally, yeah, everything hanging on the walls was something you could pick up. Like, would you like to hold the axe or the machete? Like, mm, I'm feeling a little machete today. <laughs> you could, like, open up the torso on this cadaver that was on the table. It was great. I'm it. sure, too, the more people use it, the better the set looks because it's oh. it looks more run down. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. Because you don't want it to be clean and perfect, right? Mm-mm. You want that skin to be extra flappy. <laughs> But enough about our weekend. You guys came here to talk about some movies. So let's talk about some movies. All right, let's get into it. I want to talk about the stuff. Warning. We interrupt this presentation with the following urgent message regarding the stuff. If you see it in stores, call the police. If you have it in your home, don't touch it. Get out. The stuff is a product of nature, a deadly living organism. It is addictive and destructive. It can overcome your mind and take over your body. And nothing can stop it. The stuff you have been warned. From 1985, currently sitting at a 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb and a... 70% on Rotten Tomatoes? From only 10 reviews. Is that not yeah, but it's an a, injustice? It's an indie film, so... It seems like the kind of movie that would have more than 10 reviews. Mm, I don't know. Okay. I don't what know. I'm trying to say is, more people should see this movie. Well, more reviews, the lower the rating. It has more reviews <laughs> on IMDb, and it has a 5.9. You're <laughs> assuming that more reviews will be bad. Well, I, uh, I, mm. if if those reviews were uploaded from 1985, sure. Oh my god, might, I would might, read those reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it might drive it down, but I think uh, now today, with some nostalgia and just an interest in this film, it's gonna go up. The only people watching this movie are people that are actually seeking it out. Yeah. I read somewhere that Larry Cohn attributed some of the failure of the movie to the fact that there were good critical responses and they got a lot of good reviews in the paper, but there was a hurricane in New York, which is the majority where it was distributed, and nobody got their papers because the paper boys just didn't go out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they're like, fuck it, it's too Can you wet. imagine a time where, like, the success of your film hinged on a paper boy? The new, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Those boys are the laziest. <laughs> I'm being sexist right now. Those children are the laziest. Those children. You know, here's the thing. I was a paper boy, and... You're a paper person. I, I was a paper person, <laughs> as I preferred to be known. A paper humanoid. Yeah, and it, honestly, it was all worth it come Christmas time. There was an entire building I delivered newspapers to that was just elderly people. They fucking love paper boys. 
$20 tips at Christmas. But did you have insane. to talk to them? Yeah, but they were nice. Here's the best part. This is what you don't even realize. It, it, it's like high school in there. You would occasionally go, oh, Mr. Rothstein's not home today. Let's go collect from Mrs. Yeah, <gasps> Rubenstein. Oh! oh my God. Did he not answer the door? <laughs> it was the best. And as a kid, I was like, oh, they're such good friends. And you're like, why is Mr. Rothstein hopping rooms? Oh, I wish I found him in more rooms than one. <laughs> I <laughs> so yeah let's get into this film john you are gonna have to do the synopsizing because i have no idea what happens in the later half of this film i have no idea where it goes wow have... you just don't even remember i watched the marshmallow fluff and the uh, commercials. i want to backtrack for a second we you watched the marshmallow fluff in the commercials 48 hours ago I know. No, but <laughs> even when I was watching it, I didn't understand it. Like, I didn't understand oh. the whole Colonel whatever plot. Colonel and... whatever. Oh! Yeah, I just, like, I was like, whatever. I just stopped paying attention. And I, I like, I followed the little boy plot. I followed the, the businesswoman Mo plot. And that was really <laughs> it. Like, I didn't follow the uh, chocolate chip brown plot. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have so much to say about each of these things. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Full disclosure, I had not seen this movie before, ever. I hadn't either. Yeah, and I think this was at your insistence that we get it. Like, it's just, like, such a cool cover. We'd heard so much about it. When we bought it at Fantasia Fest, later that night attending the world premiere of King Cone, the Larry Cone documentary, which, when it comes to your town, you guys gotta check it out. This guy is fascinating. Yeah, he's such an interesting character, and I, I think we talked about it in the Fantasia Highlights episode, but if you're an aspiring filmmaker, even, horror or not, you gotta check him out for just his innovation and his ambition to do it regardless of the resources that are backing him. Oh yeah, and to film in New York constantly. Stealing shots so in fun, New York. <laughs> right? Every time I see one of his movies now, I'm just like, I bet he didn't get a permit for this. I bet he didn't get a permit for this. I bet he definitely didn't get a permit for this. <laughs> okay, plot-wise, the stuff. The stuff. Is about marshmallow goo. Okay. That eats. Do you want to do the People first half and I'll the, do the second half? From the inside out. <laughs> yeah. Are you eating it? Or is it eating you? Okay, so the beginning of this movie, I think, is my favorite thing. Are you talking about the opening of, scene? I'm just talking about Mo in the boat and Mo oh. in the yacht. <laughs> I I can't handle him <laughs> as an actor because he's definitely an actor. Moriarty, yeah. I I don't know. I just like it's it's very very unique. <laughs> It's very interesting. He's hilarious, but there's a very unrehearsed quality about everything he does in this movie. And yeah. I don't know if it's because of the way that Larry Cohen films and it's very like high and fast and rushed. Mm -hmm. It's all kinds of awkward and <laughs> he's so odd. What is this fucking line? Like, oh, you know why my friends call me Mo? Because when they give me money, I, I always, always want, want Mo. Mo. But this. The whole film isn't about money. Not for him, at least. For him, it's about answers. His arc is so strange because he's hired by... Okay, we should we should backtrack a little okay, bit. Okay, so they're on a boat. <laughs> oh, oh, I meant even further than that. But oh, I thought first that was up, the first scene. No, not at all. Okay. But I, I think that scene on the boat is only on a boat because you don't need permits on a boat. I know. <laughs> I think that's the only reason. That could have been a board meeting. It could have been at a large table in a skyscraper. It's a fun setting. What but as long as you know somebody with a boat you got that set maybe it's cheaper to get a boat than it is to rent out an entire office space for the day i have no idea who cares it could be larry's boat for all we know 
But before that, we start on Alaska? Is it Alaska? Alaska. We are somewhere in the winter. It is snowing. And these guys are leaving work for the day. I've completely blanked this scene. This is the weirdest scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie for how absurd it is. Okay. Not my favorite. I'm putting it in my top ten. Okay. These guys are walking home, and he sees something in the snow and goes, huh, dips his finger in it, eats it, and goes, man, this is good. It's some sort of white goo. Let's just, let's just say... Who just eats questionable white goo? I know. Let's just say that it's soft serve ice cream. They're walking along and he sees a fountain coming out of the ground of... Like a geezer of goo. Soft serve ice yeah. cream, yeah. In snow. And everybody's like, hey, Larry, what are you doing? You eating snow? He goes, nah, it's good. Try it. And another guy tries it and goes, yeah, this is pretty good cut away. And then now we've got the stuff, the product. Ah, I don't get that fucking scene whatsoever. See, I think that's only disgusting because it's white goo. But okay, let's think say of it was maple, chocolate. Maple syrup. Honey. Okay. <laughs> those are all earth goos. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's not any more outlandish than either of those things. Also milk. Surely. Yeah, milk is disgusting. When you surely one person was watching a calf drink milk from a cow and went, you know what? I bet I could have some of that. <laughs> like, that's weird. I'm going to steal his milk. <laughs> and yeah, maple syrup. You're walking by a tree, and you're just like, hey, this thing's leaking. Sweet. Not bad. <laughs> and honey, yeah. It's just like, let's just stick my hand in this and eat the, the bee's excrement. It's Whatever. not so bad when you ignore the sharps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're right. I guess it's not that outlandish, but uh, it's so weird. For me, it was just a matter of like, hey, where does the stuff come from? I don't know, the ground, I guess. Just in terms of script writing, it's like that scene was put in yeah, to I mean, figure out where the it whole came time from. I was expecting it to be an alien plot. I was expecting there to be something extraterrestrial about the stuff. Like the stuff was an alien life form yeah. who was infiltrating Earth via our own consumerism. Oh yeah, it's definitely a living thing. And it's definitely all about that. I mean, it, it could still be an alien. I, I, I guess it is. Like an ancient alien, kind of like in the thing where they like, Maybe. They unburied it with all of their building. And Maybe this is also a commentary on global warming as well. We haven't, we would not have found that evil if the snow did not melt and it did not expose the stuff. Wasn't it in the quarry where yeah. they started mining? Yeah. It. So it... I think it's from our own excavating that we've. Oh, totally. It's something that exists it. on the earth, which is weird. If you have, we're talking about just like this is a real like goo that exists. It's. <laughs> It's, if you guys haven't seen oh. the movie, though, it is essentially a creature feature about a food. About a marshmallow. Yeah, imagine if fast food ate you from the inside out. That's kind of exactly what it is, right? Yeah. It's more or less a commentary, yeah, on our fast food society, on all the garbage products that we eat that are more harmful to us than they are good. And uh, interesting enough, in the special features, Larry Cohn was talking about cigarettes as well. Yeah, see, that's something really fascinating that I actually didn't think of while we were watching it, because I thought it was definitely just a straight play on our gluttonous food consumerism and all of our junk food that we've been eating. Yeah. And it's kind of larger than that, and I think it deals with corporations as a whole and the power that corporations have to sell us whatever the fuck that they want that's mm -hmm. not actually good for us and it's crazy that this film is 30 years old and the message is still really timely and yeah. we haven't really changed in terms of how corporations are 
selling us products. We're yeah. just putting more legislature to make it more transparent. Like now, when you go into a McDonald's, at least in Canada, they actually have to put the calorie information right beside the title of the product. Yeah, exactly. Which just forces them to maybe make a more health-conscious product. And, you know, you'll see plenty of companies talking about all the great stuff that they're doing by donating money back into this wildlife preserve and this. And so, like, there's an image of, like, we're doing some good with the money that we're getting from the evil that from we're doing. From the salt we're selling it. Right. But I mean, honestly, I think cigarettes might be the best example of what this is like, because, you know, as much as junk food and whatnot is is ruining your body, in a, in a sense, cigarettes are probably doing it in a much closer way that the stuff is doing. Well, cigarettes are literally poison. Yeah. I mean, we all, we're all at a point now that even people who smoke, I mean, if you smoke, you know that you can admit, like, yeah, I know it's going to kill me. Yeah, it's not like the 30s, where we're just like, ah, oh, you'd be crazy not to. And like cancer, the stuff is eating people from the inside out. Oh my god. We see people that have been eating eating this stuff for years now are essentially just shells. With white goo inside. Right? Y'all, one of my favorite scenes is when Mo punches that guy, Some in, guy the, in the face. And it just knocks his jaw. Completely empty inside, though. He's yeah. Like, and it's weird inside. It's like the inside of a pumpkin. It's got yeah, husk it's, of itself. Exactly, right? Like, that's, that's all it is now. It's just like a thin layer of human being and stuff. But what I love about that scene is that he's completely unfazed by it. The next scene when they're in the car, he should be having a fucking breakdown. He should be like, oh my god, what happened? Like, I don't even, my brain can't process what I just saw. For this character, walking around and punching people's jaws up, just a walk in the park. Like an every, regular every day for him. It's a light film, John. (laughs) (laughs) After that, I think there's a commercial. And then, yeah, we're introduced to Mo, who's some sort of corporate spy. He's going to infiltrate the Stuff Corporation and figure out the formula so these other titans of industry can make their own stuff. See, I at the whole movie, I know that scene where they're in the boat and like there's all those like head honchos around is really important, but I didn't understand any of it yeah. because I was too busy trying to understand and grasp Moe's character <laughs> because he comes in and he's like... <laughs> no, 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 don't even bother. We got to put a clip in this. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is some place you got here, fellas. Mm. This is, uh, gosh, let me, uh, that's a sweaty palm. That's Ooh. two sweaty palms. Let me feel you. Ah, that's another sweaty palm. Yes, sir. Hello, sweaty palm. So you don't quite understand what his role in this movie is. No, it's because he's too absurd. <laughs> and he also kind of mumbles. I think he <laughs> I think he mumbles the important lines and then all the other lines that I hear have nothing to do with anything but him being odd. He is very strange. He's so odd. Really, and really he's crazy. the plot of this film, I think. And for how often he's worked with with Larry Cohn, I think he's his muse. Like, I think he just, (laughs) I think he's, I think Larry thinks that he's a brilliant actor and can do absolutely anything. And he really does fit in the world that these movies are set in. Yeah, I mean, without Mo in this film, it would be missing that B-movie quirk that is just the heart of the film. I don't know if this film would have succeeded had it have gone with the tone that say, Soylent Green has. This Mm. film was always supposed to be a B-movie. Yeah. And that character really just shines in this plot. (laughs) It was sold as a horror movie, too, and they think that that's probably also why it didn't really do so well. I think it's a horror film. But it's it's a satirical movie. Yeah, but it's using a lot of humor and a lot of camp to convey a message that is very scary. 
I can't think of a modern day movie that does that. I mean, and off the top of my head, I can't think of something that's lighthearted. Right now, you get Fahrenheit 9/11 and oh, uh, Super Size Me. Super, yeah, sure, that's maybe. That's kind yeah. of scary. <laughs> in, a, in a way, yeah. Do you know that Fahrenheit 9/11 is? The highest grossing documentary of all time. I haven't even seen it. <laughs> there Wait, was... no, isn't that the one where at the end of it he's opening people's doors in Canada? No, 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 that's that's Bowling for Columbine. Oh. Where he talks about gun control in Canada. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, oh and he's sorry, just checking bye. people just have their doors open. <laughs> and unlocked. nobody's upset. He's <laughs> like, oh, you're filming a movie? Okay, you, you have a good day now. <laughs> they don't lock the door either. They just, okay, they <laughs> close the door, leave it as is. But yeah, from there, uh, <laughs> Mo, <laughs> this movie, from there, Mo goes off to infiltrate the Stuff Corporation. I, it's Stuff Inc., I guess. And I guess he does a good job, but you're right, at no point does he really learn about what the stuff is and have this, like, oh my god, I have to stop everything I'm doing and take this company down. It's just kind of always there. And the, But the direction the plot goes is so odd, because you think that him wooing this woman who's the head of marketing for the stuff would be a big, important plot point and a big challenge for him, mm -hmm. because that's getting him one step closer to the inside to the secrets. He's got an in now. And there's a scene where he suavely hits on her. Yeah. And then... Asks her out to dinner. And then like, we cut back to her 20 minutes later and they're dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the next time we see her, he refers to her as honey. All right, honey, you go back to the house. I'll see you soon. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're an item now? <laughs> I think you're supposed to assume because she bought a dress for dinner and he had a lot of money that... Ba-ching! I don't know. It doesn't seem like she's interested in him, though. It's just, oh, hey, you're considering buying my mark marketing firm. Yes, I will put on a dress and I will put on a show. Yeah, I assumed it was a work thing. Yeah, like she wants him to buy her out for millions of dollars. Yeah, like, okay, like let's just... And there was no more of that plot. Yeah, and she's not mad when she finds it. I think there's a scene where he tells her I was her like, oh, this is... Who he is. Yeah. During that scene, I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be a goopy pretty woman. <laughs> a goopy pretty woman. And then it wasn't. I don't think there's a scene where he explains who he is. And that it was all false? There might be. I don't really recall. But she definitely isn't like, what? I've been living a lie. I've been, <laughs> I've been seeing you based on the idea that you would pay me money. <laughs> that never happens. I want to touch on her character, too. Her name's Nicole. She is head of marketing for the stuff. She's doing all their commercials and, I guess, their branding and stuff. The stuff branding is awesome. Oh, I think fantastic. it looks fucking amazing. It's very 70s, but it looks really cool. And the infomercial is really odd that they're filming. They have models just catwalking, and then they eat the stuff at the end yeah. of the catwalk. Yeah. But none of the people they hired were actually actors at all, because they, they give them commands, like, smile at the camera. Maybe they did that afterwards, but they're like, smile at the camera. And they don't even look at the camera, <laughs> and they don't smile. <laughs> I guess models aren't good at smiling. Models aren't good at smiling. Name one model who smiles. They don't smile. They're not allowed. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah, models don't smile. They smile. The ones in the Gap ads do, I guess. But we, we, yeah, but we really, not really call them yeah. models. We're talking supermodels here. From there, he dives deep into where the stuff came from and who's manufacturing it. He goes to the first town. But in a weird, like, why the direction? He's got his in. He's got this girl who has access. We could skip the entire middle plot if they just went from him wooing her to the tour at the plant that they do later on. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like, hey, could you set that up for me? Well, we live in a time where there's not emails. Like, she couldn't just be like, hey, Kevin, is it cool if we come by and see the plant? Oh, like a phone or something. Yeah. Every movie would be ruined by a cell phone. It's a fact. They had offices. It, they could have called from their office to another office. I'm just saying. That weird plot where he goes to that small town. Yeah, he goes to like the Hershey, really... Pennsylvania of the stuff. And they're in this really smoky post office. And it's really <laughs> cluttery in a way that gives me stress. So here we were introduced to Chocolate Chip Charlie, which is another nuts. character that doesn't make sense. Well, see, it's based off Famous Amos. You know Famous Amos Cookies? No. Okay, well, it's, it's bigger in the States. But Famous Amos Cookies has like a like a Chocolate Chip Charlie character. Famous Amos is supposed to be a guy who was making cookies for his friends and then just decided to bring that recipe out to John, the public. John, is this going to get really racist? <laughs> I'm really concerned. I mean, if you've ever seen the back of a Famous Amos Cookies box, yes, it is, is it about really to get racist? <laughs> the idea behind Chocolate Chip Charlie, though, is that he is a small town cookie provider, right? Like, he is he had his own small cookie company that got overrun by the stuff. Did Chocolate Chip Charlie have a cookie company? Yeah. Oh. He is, instead of Famous Amos, he's Chocolate Chip Charlie. That's oh, sorry, what I'm saying. I see, you know, the scene where they're walking and talking down that street? Yeah. And they're just delivering their lives? You didn't catch any of that, did I didn't you? understand anything. <laughs> I just, I, the only part I caught was when they were like, look, a post office is right over there. <laughs> Let's go check it out. <laughs> Walk off camera. Like, this is like a high school movie in some parts, right? Oh, man. So good, though. It's fantastic. This is where we first start seeing that the stuff is taking people over, though. Because when they start to get a little too close, somebody goes goes in the back room and the stuff just like evacuates his body what are they doing there like what is the purpose they're trying to figure out where the new plant is why the plant left and why could he not ask his girlfriend she didn't know Mm. okay (laughs) you expect her to know why some small town just evacuated became a ghost town and moved somewhere else well, I'm sure she... Why does it matter? The point is he needs to find out who's manufacturing it. She obviously knows where the main plant is. I see what you're getting at. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was hoping to talk to some people that used to work at a plant there who do not any longer and have no So he's like undercover to the company. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. It's espionage. He's a spy. He's trying to go in as secretly as possible. Okay, so he meets this guy, the chocolate chip guy. Chocolate chip guy. And they go to a post office for a bit, and then they end up (laughs) beating up the post office guy who's filled with goo, and they escape through the window after a smarmy one-liner. And then Uh... he tells this guy he's just met that he's FBI and to go... Is he FBI? I don't know. (laughs) I actually don't know. At a diner for some reason? He tells him to meet to go to talk to the FBI and say Mo but sent he, you. Yeah, but in another state. So this <laughs> yeah. guy he's just met who has zero credentials is now working with him and he disappears for the rest of the film until the final scene, basically. Yeah. But they're the, So the diner that they're in where the scene goes down, he asks for the stuff from the waitress and she's like no we couldn't get any and then she opens up a cold freezer filled with the stuff I guess she's gonna tell the stuff that Mo is there (laughs) I don't know and I don't know why So many times throughout this film, oh, I thought man. people were going to whisper to the stuff. <laughs> Even in the post office when he's standing to go to the back room and he's got like a really old Coke fridge yeah. with cartons of the stuff in it. I thought he was going to crack it open and whisper to them like, I think we got to get rid of these guys. That is a scene that should have existed in this movie. People should have been talking to the stuff. Yeah. That sounds great. I would love to see a scene where somebody holds a carton of the stuff to their ear like a cell phone and somebody <laughs> else picks up another carton in another state. Like, oh my God. What was that? 
oh, we'll be ready for him. See, because I... <laughs> and then they put the lid on to hang up the phone. <laughs> the whole time I thought it was aliens, right? And it has a hive mind because yeah, when yeah. the little boy whose plot we haven't even talked about We're going to get to that yet, in a second. He's yes. trying to flush some stuff down the toilet and it's like, as an entity, the whole container is trying to like avoid the bowl. <laughs> and then there's another scene where an entire room of stuff is floating away <laughs> and on fire. Uh. Oh. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this movie. So yeah, the kid is like another huge portion of this movie, which I'm realizing now is in between that that stuff in the snow and the mow and the boat scene. Yeah. Because he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's hungry, he goes to the fridge, but he sees the stuff crawling around in the fridge. Yeah, and I really hope that guy... His dad, his dad is his stepdad because he is oh, <laughs> like I mean nobody should treat their child or stepchild that terribly but he is such an ass to him. I want to believe that it's because the stuff is already taking over his brain, right? And exactly. it's going in his brain holes. Yeah, <laughs> making everybody stepdads across America just a stepdad. Factory. He's such a wiener. <laughs> He's a bit of a wiener. But at this point, yeah, the kid decides there's something wrong with the stuff, and he's got to get everybody to know. He wants to spread the truth, get the word out, including destroying... An entire grocery <laughs> store for about eight minutes. Right. <laughs> Just goes on a fucking riot in that grocery <laughs> store. And here's the thing about the stuff. This is what I don't understand about it. It is literally in every section of the goddamn store. It is well, stacked in the dry food what section. What is it? It's not quite a yogurt, but it's with the yogurt. It seems like it's described cream. as an ice cream treat. Like, it's refrigerated. It's frozen. It's in the fast food aisle. It's in the gross, the canned food aisle. It's in dry goods. It's probably in produce, and I bet it's near the counter. Well, they probably have a really good marketing deal with the grocery store. Oh, put it everywhere, and we'll share profits? Maybe. Heads of the grocery stores are probably eating the stuff, and therefore they're brainwashed because they are stuff. Mm. So then they would just put it everywhere because they love that stuff. Love that stuff. <laughs> I do love the tagline for this movie, though, right? What's the tagline? You can't oh. get enough of the stuff. Like, it just sounds great. Yeah, it's great. I, lo- I think that alone is probably where the entire movie came from. Well, it's probably where the Lay's tagline came. Like, bet you can't eat just one. Uh, Shut yeah. up, Lay's. <laughs> What's the Pringles one? It's very similar. Oh, it's like, once you pop, pop you can't, can't stop. stop. Why are we not terrified by these ads? Advertising doesn't work, so... Advertising doesn't work? Not now. You don't think so? No. Why do you need the new Apple phone, Kim? I don't. Yeah, well, if I got you a new phone and it wasn't an iPhone... I'd be like, good, maybe the battery will work now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I don't think advertising works because I think our generation is just desensitized to it because we... We don't have brand loyalty. No, we don't care. When we're all poor, so, like, we'll get whatever we can the cheapest. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's just me. Do you watch a commercial for the toilet paper that has the dog, or the dog, the bear with, like, the no shit on my butt? (laughs) I I just don't watch TV. I'm like, shit, I'm in toilet paper, but it... Shit works, too. (laughs) I I hope that most toilet paper ads can sell me the idea that there will be no shit in my butt. Well, no, but when you go down the toilet paper aisle, you're like, one ply, one ply, one ply. Okay, cheapest two ply. And, like, that's it. Well, I'm I'm definitely the guy who's going for five ply. (laughs) I want the ass wipe brand so my hand don't smell like ass. Ew. uh, (laughs) Ruin my joke with your depravity. (laughs) At some point, there is a news story for this kid. And Mo sees it, and he goes, hey, I know that kid. 
and he what? has to rescue the kid. Yeah, so he sees it on the TV, yeah. and then he just makes a side mission to go to this kid's house, which happens to be perfect timing because his parents are all they're, the stuff. Yeah, they're getting ready to like tie him down and force me to do it. <laughs> and he eats shaving cream to yeah. trick them, but then it doesn't work. And then he's running away from his house, and Moe's there, and he's like, I've seen it move too. <laughs> when? So this had no... to have happened before the movie started, yeah, right? Yeah, but no communication has passed here. No. For whatever. And he definitely never explains why he knows that kid. He's probably just super intuitive. I don't know. Okay. Um, this movie is run by the logic of the secret. <laughs> so he then just kidnaps a boy, and the next scene, he takes him on a plane. Like yeah. a private plane. Kidnapping a child, taking a minor across borders. <laughs> then there are all kinds of laws well, being And not only here. that, but there's so much negligence that happens because they go on this plane to go to the factory because the girlfriend has hooked up a tour, mm. which she could have done a lot earlier in the film. Yeah. And they leave the kid in the plane. I mean, he gets up to some shit, but this tour thing ends up having to take like a day and a half or yeah, two days. They, they go to a hotel. They get them a motel. At no point, they, oh yeah, we just need to swing back to the airport to get our child, I guess. <laughs> He's ours now. We've claimed him. Oh. It isn't until he accidentally finds him hidden in a tanker truck that he's like, <laughs> oh yeah, right. Miles and miles and miles away from where the plane like, Not even surprised, right? Here's this kid's voice. He's like, hey, hey, kid, you in there? All right, cool. They just left him in that private jet. I mean, the only thing to eat in there is little mini bottles of vodka. <laughs> when he picks that kid up, though, is probably my second favorite scene in the movie. <gasps> Excuse me, sir. I kind of just threw up in your car. I know. I'm sorry. I mean... I just right. ate shaving cream. Everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. It's a funny scene, though, because it doesn't need to exist, but it's great. And Moe's driving the kid, the in that car. <laughs> it's all over the fucking steering wheel. And the kid right? barfs in the back. Yeah. And he was like, sorry, I barfed in your car. Yeah. yeah. I know. And then, they, like, there's even, like, would you mind opening the window now? Like, why? I remember being in an improv troupe, being one of those guys in this scene going, this isn't going well. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing a good job and no one's interested. <laughs> Thank God this isn't a movie. Oh, fuck. It's great, though. So, touring the plant, the scene that everybody wants to see... The goo escapes, and there's all these fun scenes of it oozing down the hall. And I'm blending the scenes. Why is the yeah, boy there? Yeah, so the, there's, there's two scenes. So okay. there's one closer to where we are in the storyline. Like, what's happening? Where the goo, the, the stuff attacks them in the motel room. And is we, that before the tour? That is, at, so there's, there's more than one tour. You're, okay. You're confusing them breaking into the plant with the tour. Yeah, because the then tour, he's just like, we nothing. gotta go back. Okay. Yeah, in the tour they see nothing, but in the motel room we have that the rotating... The breaks out of the pillow! Oh my they're god. In, they're in the this stuff is, This hell, is the most incredible assassination plot, right? Not only is the goo room temperature frozen and refrigerated, it is also a fucking mattress. Like, it's comfortable. <laughs> the stuff is everything. Yeah, it bursts out of the mattress. It tries to suffocate them. We realize that apparently it's flammable. This is literally everything. And we use the rotating room, popularized, I'll say, by Nightmare on Elm Street. Apparently it is the same set. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about this scene, though, is there's quite 
quite an extensive time where we're on the stuff while it's oozing up the wall. Yeah. On fire. But the actors in that scene that are harnessed in are not our main actors. Not and at we all. are totally showing their faces. Yeah, like they're <laughs> and their wigs. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean like nineteen eighty five special effects, you're not paying attention to who those two people are. You're probably, oh look at that evil goo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, this looks incredible. <laughs> it does look great. You gotta admit, it looks awesome. It looks like the entire state puff marshmallow. Man, melted in that room. It doesn't look like it's moving on its own, though. I think that they, there are better ways that they make it look. You gotta stop watching this with 2017 eyes. I'm not. I'm just saying. Like, I don't have that criticism for Tina dying in Nightmare on Elm Street. Up, oh, good point. I will. I will sit back in my chair for this one. So my favorite part, where I think the goo looks the most sentient, is later on when it's coming out of somebody's mouth. Oh, chocolate chip Charlie. And it's- <laughs> it's like, it's like, you, can't, you can't do hand puppets on a podcast. It's like, it's like lamb chop. <laughs> the goo version of lamb chop. And it's like looking at people. Oh, that is that is such a great scene. We're I like, rest my case. They're, bringing, they're bringing in lamb chop Charlie. Lamb chop Charlie. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say that. But he's like, I know about the stuff. <laughs> and it's just like his head just like opens up like an anaconda's and the stuff just like crawls out, looks around. And, <laughs> his oh, mouth so in that great. scene is so messed up in a you, way that really I don't like you, it. I don't. They dot paint the inside of his mouth. Yeah. There's it looks all like these... mold. It, looks it like does look like mold. It does. So what we're completely glossing over yet is that there is an entire, there's an entire section with... With the some, army! With some sort of like rogue militia. <laughs> The most uncomfortable military general there has ever been. Oh, man. Who, after an, a, a, a daring attack on the Stuff Corporation, goes, All right, well, I own two radio stations. Let's go tell everybody yeah. about this. It's in the, the, like, the height of the climax of the film, and there's just a scene where they're all standing outside. How are we going to let America know not to eat the stuff? I thought that they were going to get rid of the stuff. I thought the whole thing was to bring them down. They had an army. Uh, they're too big. You can't get rid of them. <sighs> they got. They got to spread the word. So then we finish the film with a very climactic scene at a radio station where we put a broadcast out. Oh, it's pretty great. I mean, like they get attacked from there as well. But yeah, they they do finally get the broadcast out. There is some really interesting shit at the end of this movie, though. Okay, so America starts destroying all the stuff plants. They, they they blow up the stores. They remove it from. They blow up the the chain stores. They remove it from the grocery store. And for the most part, there's a bit of a Boycott Don't you think there's another movie in convincing the planet that the stuff is... They're all brainwashed at this point. Yeah. And they're like, the people that didn't die were quick to adopt that the stuff was evil. And you're like, well, yeah. whoa, that was a really... Like, there's a lot of information in that You glossed sentence. over that, yeah. Yeah, and then you realize the, the kid's entire family died. And you're like, whoa, what? And then there's a voiceover part from... From Nicole, was that her name? Mm-hmm. Where she goes, and everyone believed it. Like, that is just... <laughs> And we cut to almost like a post-stuff documentary that she's making. Like another infomercial explaining that the stuff was bad and the stuff was evil and we've gotten rid of it. But we're back with a new product, the taste. Well, she doesn't do that. That's the corporate guys who are working on it. Yeah, so the, the corporate guys are working on the taste, which is just enough of the stuff to get people hooked, but it's not 100% the stuff. So, so it's take over their brains. Right, it's, it's some stepped-on stuff. <laughs> There's some really interesting shit at the end of that movie though, where she's essentially giving an infomercial. Please do tell. (laughs) 
she's explaining that they've moved away from the stuff and it's bad, but there's like this moment of like deep sincerity right at the end of it where she says that I'm the marketing manager and I've constantly sold this product to you and now I'm selling you an apology. I know, that was really dark. <laughs> yeah, there, there was definitely some heaviness behind that. Like she's still working for the stuff and they control her and she can't get away from it. And they're making her give this apology, but she knows it's fake. No, see, I pictured it as something a lot more bleak and like all encompassing that I don't I think the stuff corporation has kind of gone defunct that's why those guys are like we're trying to get a new product yeah I think she's kind of in that interview she's doing a voice of the people okay but I think it's about thinking critically and everything you're being told is a sell yeah and she's selling you that the stuff is evil but I mean something else is just going to take its place so I think it's just a message to think critically about everything you hear from somebody that's not your friend let's get into ratings what's your rating on this film I uh I'm having a hard time with this because <laughs> 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 like, this is the furthest thing from, like, Academy Award-winning films, right? It is amazing, and it's so enjoyable to watch, yeah. and it's super campy, it's hilarious, and it is effective, and it has a really effective message, so on one hand, it's it's actually a really good film without being the tightest film, Yeah, but it's really fun. I think I'm going to give this movie a 3 out of 4. I'm going to go 3 out of 4, too. Oh, thank God, because yeah. I want to watch this movie again right now. Yeah, no, it's hilarious, and it's completely enjoyable, and if you haven't seen it, you are going to have a hell of a fucking time when you watch it. Oh, please do seek this movie out. Are you ready for the next film? Okay, I'm ready for this. I'm going to precursor this, because I have been trying to get John to talk about this movie since the inception of this podcast, and I have no fucking idea why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. And this is one of those movies. Here, here's the thing. Not technically a horror movie. And it is. so often I'm like, hey, we should do mm. X movie or Y movie. And you're like, I don't know. Not technically horror. I think dystopian thrillers are quite close to horror. Well, dystopian thriller or not, we're going to talk about Soylent Green. What is the secret of Soylent Green? Detective Sergeant Thorne. He has a two-year backlog of unsolved murders. Now he's on a case that must be solved. William R. Simonson. Simonson. He was the first to learn the secret of Soylent Green. They told me to, uh, to say that they were sorry, but that you had become unreliable. <laughs> Saul Roth was the next to know. How did we come to this? And he chose to die rather than reveal the secret of Soylent Green. What is the secret of Soylent Green? From 1973, currently sitting at a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 3 out of 4 Eberts, and a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Seems low. You would expect it to be a little higher. Yeah! 7.1 out of 10 is really impressive for IMDb, though, because IMDb barely goes above 6. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, but I always wanted to talk about this on this podcast. I think it's the same reason I always wanted to talk about Amityville Horror. Okay. Because it's one of those movies that I always saw as a kid. And when I kind of grew up and got into horror, I had like a weird arsenal of odd films. Yeah. That I would see it and be like, oh my god, I watched this when I was like four. <laughs> That's so funny. And, and Soylent Green is something that I have seen a ton of times prior to the age of nine. <laughs> And like any movie as big as this was at its time, constantly referenced in pop culture. 
I don't think you probably, well, maybe be given how young you were, you probably didn't know the twist ending. No, I didn't. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Like, you watched it as a child like, and yeah. already knew exactly what Soylent Green meant. Because it's, it's just a term that got thrown around all the time. And I guess at some point you ask your parents or somebody, like, what does Soylent Green mean? Like, ah, it's this movie where people get turned into food. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You just glossed over the most insane thing I've ever heard from my six-year-old brain. Watching it again, though, as an adult, it's way better than I even thought it was. It might also be that this is the first time, I, I don't know about you, but for me, the first time I've ever watched it without commercial breaks. Yeah, it is a really good film. I really enjoyed it. It's and very clockwork orangey. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like that, that standard cop procedural you would see that just kind of takes like a, I don't want to say nosedive, but it takes a complete left turn at some point. Like, yes, somebody, like, a, there's a high-profile murder, the grizzled cop in New York is trying to figure out who killed this guy, and he uncovers the most insane plot. Yeah. Which... I mean, you say cop drama to me, and that I'm completely turned off. I am not paying attention. Yeah. I'm not into it at all. But because because it's set in such a dark and depressing dystopian universe and you're not told right away the world you're living in, you kind of unravel what it's like scene by scene following this cop. Yeah, the year 2022, the city. Is it the city or the place? Like, the city. New York City, the population, 40 million. <laughs> That's nuts. Like, even now, you think New York is crowded as fuck and it's only like eight and a half million. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I mean, going into his, like, shitty little apartment, and he's somebody who's that modern-day middle class. His apartment is crap, and there's people, I would say 50 or more people, sleeping in the stairwell. Every stairwell. Even the fire escapes outside, people are sleeping on. Why, why are they gravitating toward the stairs? I don't get that. Inside, sure. Like, you just want a place inside, and all that's left is the stairs. Why you sleep on the fire escape? <laughs> I don't get it. I do never tire of watching him trying to struggle up and down staircases. <laughs> Climbing but, over people? Yeah, it looks like a Herculean task just to get in and out of his place. So as you probably know, this movie stars Charlton Heston. At some point, we find out that he is a detective who helps try and solve one of 137 murders a day? Ugh. Can you imagine? 137 people being murdered every day, and the population is still 40 million. Well, the thing about that, too, that's probably only wealthy people, because I doubt that they're putting that much work in to investigate if one of those people on the stairs was murdered. Maybe. I think that's only the wealthy. Maybe. Because those people get shoveled into trucks and stuff. Do you think somebody's investigating those murders? I think... When they're discussing some of the cases that they have going on, they're not all, like, high-class murders, but you're right. Like They're probably employed priority. and up. At the very least, yeah. The people sleeping on the stairs are probably never heard from again. Yeah, like, they they're disappear. probably... Exactly, like, people contributing to society versus people who are eating soil and green and collecting rations. Yeah. He gets called to a very swanky apartment where a man has been murdered. Uh, we actually see his assassination, which is deeply unsettling to me. Yeah, I thought it was going to oh. be a bigger part of the film. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> the whole movie's about his murder. I know, but just, I mean, what led up to his oh. apathy and his acceptance of the situation and Got stuff. It. Like, I thought it was going to be more about prior to his murder. Okay. And less about the cop's journey, because the cop is the protagonist. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the murder is, like, our inciting incident, right? Yeah. Like, it's what thrusts everything forward. It's what puts us into the mystery, which is that cop procedural, right? In Chinatown, you have the, that exact same thing at the beginning of the movie, and I totally gotta get you to see Chinatown sometime. When you think cop noir, 
that's the movie everybody's basing everything See, John, off of. you have to put it in a dystopian thriller for me to be able to watch it. What if it's a dystopian future that is essentially nowadays where there is no water in California, Kim? Mad Max? <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chinatown is a prequel to Mad Max. <laughs> okay. In, in a lot of ways. This assassin that shows up, we see that he is living out of his car, and he has to more or less use a crowbar to climb his way up the building, and he has a conversation with the guy he's killing, but he doesn't understand the conversation because, you know, we're at a point now where just being able to live is enough. People aren't educated anymore in the year 2022. He's telling him like, oh, the board says that this is necessary and that they regret the decision, but it's, you know, it has to be done. And the fact that they have this conversation and the fact that it's very one-sided is really unsettling to me. Well, essentially he's a hired goon. Oh, he's And the fact that he's delivering this bureaucratic final message yeah. is odd. You would expect it to be like a mob hit where it's like, Tony says hello, blam, yeah, it's right? it's strangely detailed. <laughs> very much so. And it haunts me. No, I think it's it very spooky. Yeah. Especially, no, I'm saying his, his apathy and his acceptance. He's just like, okay, yeah. they're right. Yeah, it's like, it's not right. It's necessary. Well, I think that's the biggest example of the corporate greed, which is the same message of Soylent Green is the same message of the stuff. Yeah. Overall, I think it's about the power of the corporation and how they can do anything and they're above law and moral law. Absolutely. And even the people at the head of the company are eating the the doctrine exactly like he knows that his death is right because he doesn't believe in what the company's doing and it's for the greater good of the company that he's assassinated well i think it's also that he's tired of having this weight on his shoulders he knows that what he's doing is wrong he can't live with it any longer but also he isn't fighting because the corp the corporation is bigger than him and and bigger than him and and not necessarily right but he can't fight it. I think a lot of it it's is... very that, dark. Yeah, he allows himself to be killed because he feels like he deserves it. The only Because I think fitting he's end. drinking the Kool-Aid of the company. All right, all right. He's brought in to investigate this murder. It's a swanky apartment, and because the guy who owns it is dead, he takes it upon himself to just walk around, drink his brandy, bring home his apples. Like, he really loots the place. Sleep with his chair. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, so that's the one thing that we realized that I, I didn't notice at first, that as the conversation goes on, we find out that women are referred to as furniture. At least in swanky situations, there's this weird subplot where we learn that women in this society, are, or at least the young and beautiful ones, are sold and rented with the apartment. Yeah, like they're essentially concubines. And, you know, if, if the new tenant who's coming in after they clean up this mess doesn't want her, they'll get him somebody else and who knows what'll happen to her. Like, she might be out on her ass, right? Yeah. That's nuts. Can it's very dark. It's kind of cool. Like, it's it's an interesting commentary. Like, at first I was like, whoa, this is kind of weird. But I think the film later on kind of addresses it because he kind of gets in this relationship with her mm -hmm. and she begins to want something better yeah i mean because you're you're coming into a story where that's all anybody knows i mean he only knows soylent as food he doesn't know vegetables and it's it really interesting when he gets to experience that but she only knows being furniture 
That's true. And she's she's deeply worried about what her life's going to be like if she's not wanted as furniture, despite the fact that she does not want to be furniture. It's nuts that they're referred to as furniture. But Thorne continues his investigation. This guy obviously worked for the Soylent Company. He was a CEO. And the deeper he gets into it, the more he uncovers this, this sinister plot where they are turning people into food known as Soylent Green. Which, I mean, you don't find that out until the very, very, very end. The very, 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 very end. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him... Silent Green is people! We've got to stop him somehow! Can I tell you something crazy? Mm. The book that this is based on, called Make Room, Make Room, by Harry Harrison... Written in 1966. Yeah, does not have any sort of cannibalistic subplot. That is all added for the movie. Really? Yes. The majority of this movie is him investigating a murder. He finds furniture, and they live together in that apartment for a month in luxury before the new tenant moves in. Like, this guy coming from squalor and poverty just takes advantage of this entirely. Wow. And they fall in love, and she moves back in with him and Saul in their shitty apartment. Saul eventually dies in, like, a riot, and she, she can't handle how bad life is in the inner city. She wants to go back to being furniture. And he's constantly chasing down the guy who murdered her, her owner. I guess we'll say, and, you know, eventually catches him and kills him in, in an escape attempt. And when he comes back, she's gone. And then he just, the rest of it, like, the, the, the end of the book is him walking around Times Square talking about how things are. Like, it's mainly, like, 25 short stories about the future. I mean, that sounds great. I, I really like the, the story of the movie. And I think there's a really good balance of the main plot about this corporation and the corporate greed and this mini mystery he's solving and also the side plot of his romance with this, with yeah. this woman and the situation for women in this dystopian universe. Yeah, that exploration of the world is, is more interesting than Soylent Green, but like the, the mystery of what Soylent Green is is kind of what keeps you going deeper into it. Yeah. Watching this movie now, I'm way more interested in, like, the idea of the furniture. Well, yeah, because, I mean, what is the message? Is the message still corporate greed in the book? What is it about? Just overpopulation it's, and yeah, it's, it's kind environmentalism? Of yeah, like, overpopulation, environmentalism, like, the bleak idea of what the future would be. And, yeah, they, like, apparently, like, the, the hunt for Billy, the killer of what's-his-face. Well, I assume, well, obviously, the class disparity is the same, too. So, I mean, that's an overlying message you could have without having it be the company's farming yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's there's just no sinister the subplot of what is Soylent Green. Hmm. Outside of just like that bleak representation of what 1999 is. That's when the movie, <laughs> that book was originally set. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, if I was writing a sci-fi book in like the 50s and 60s, it'd be hard not to set something in 1999. It's just, it's got a good ring. Well, same as 2022. That sounds great. It does sound great. Um, Except now we realize that it's only like five years away. So. I'm actually really surprised that this film hasn't been remade yet. Because I think... The messages in it are still same same as the stuff is still really timely and mm. I think the environmental message and the corporate message in Soil and Green would really resonate with young people today. I yeah. don't, I, I just think I think this movie would be a success. But as, I... as much as I hate remakes, I don't know if people our age are seeking out this film and watching this film. No. Because I think they would be as pleasantly surprised as I was in watching it because all of the messages are really really fresh still which is crazy because this film came out in, in 73 early 70s mm -hmm. 
I just hate that we're still dealing with the same issues. Like, they were talking about global warming. I mean, they weren't calling it that. No. They were talking about global warming in the 70s. And it just shows you how little um, foresight that humanity has and how long it takes action to come into place. Because, I mean, they even addressed euthanasia in the film. And we're still arguing about euthanasia now. And it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how many things this film touches on that I think so many people would would be interested to see depicted. There's probably a good reason why it hasn't been made. A large part of that might just be that it wouldn't be a surprise. Like, I think this movie was shocking when it came no, out. No, I don't think it would be a surprise at all. But, I mean, there's so much more at the heart of this film that it is fascinating in a way that I, I think young people really adopted A Clockwork Orange, like the fiction of it. The book in high school and the film with Malcolm McDowell is amazing. Mm -hmm. People haven't done the same for Soylent Green, and I think the message is of greater importance. <laughs> Charlton Heston is also kind of not a great guy. Like, from the get-go, we know he's not a great guy. Like, he is... He's stealing everything he can get his hands on. But you forgive it because of the conditions he's living in, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a moment where he comes back to the apartment. And Charlie he... Chocolate Factory style. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of just demands sex of the furniture. Oh, I think he went back to the apartment to eat food with that old man. Oh, that is a great scene. Because that's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, where they are just, like, devouring apples and strawberries, and they're just loving every minute of it. Like, even just the idea of eating lettuce is a novelty to it, because <laughs> everything are these, like, carbon squares of, like, protein. Speaking of euthanasia, though, let's talk about the death of Saul in Soylent Green. I don't want to. <laughs> I, know, I know you don't want to. Holy shit. As many times as I've seen this movie on TV, there are only a few scenes that really stuck with me, and that is that is one of them. I remember that scene vividly. Mm -hmm. I think it's great that he isn't carted away. It isn't a matter of like, oh, you're old. Let's get you rounded up and kill you. He chooses to go there. Mm -hmm. And he ultimately, he chooses to go there because he knows that Thorn will follow his body and be led to Soylent Green because he can prove it. It almost bookends the movie, where he's talking about how great things used to be when he was a kid. And based on how old he is, he was a kid in 1973. It's kind of interesting, though, because his mission is almost the same as the Soil and Green Company, in that it's death of a human for the greater good. It's nuts. You're right, that's so brilliant! But yeah, he's talking about how he remembers how lush everything used to be. You could eat food, there were plants, you could go outside, I can prove it, maybe... <laughs> from his memories. But... I mean, eating people is horrible. I mean, cannibalism is gross, yeah. But if you think about what this company has done, they're kind of a necessary evil. There is no food. Exactly. There are too many people. They're actually very humane about what they're doing. They're only accepting willing patients. You think I mean, so. I, they don't necessarily know what their bodies are going to be used for. Yeah. But there's something really gentle about the procedure of the people going to die. I think it's because conditions, like quality of life is so low. But you're surprised at how Hygienic. lovely <laughs> oh, that, see, the yeah. facility is that provides the service for people who want to die. Yeah, they allow you to, to be in a comfortable setting and That's an expense color. of the company that you wouldn't <laughs> expect them to do. To, you know what I mean? That's like McDonald's making a lavish waiting room for somebody who's who's gonna wait long enough to make a complaint to the head of the corporation. You this know what I mean? So like, great. I love that you are really just justifying how great this is. Like, no, 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 it's it's really nice of them to do. It's so great despite the fact that it's awful. I just think it's interesting. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it it's 
They could even just the, easily... in the film, even though Soylent Green is so known for that final scene where he's like, "They're making people. The food is people." It's not like somebody goes into a room, hit, gets hit in the head, and put into a meat grinder. When you watch it, you realize that it's a lot more gray than the company being evil. Yeah, I think that's also why it's really important that we have that scene right before he's killed at the beginning, saying it's not right. It's necessary. I mean, he goes on to say it's, you know, it's necessary for God that I be killed. But that's the idea. It's like, it's not right that we do this, but it's necessary because there isn't enough food to go around. We have nothing else to do. You know what I'd like? I think I'd like to watch like a 10 to 15 minute YouTube video of Elon Musk talking about this film. That'd be great. Except Elon Musk is terrified of AI. I know. He also well, thinks that the Voyager disc. But he's a bad definitely idea. a futurist. I'd love to, yeah. to hear what he thought about this film. I bet he thinks it's quite accurate to like 2112. Yeah, maybe. But when Saul goes in to die, it is one of the most moving things that I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't seen. want to talk about I it. I know you don't want to talk about it. Um, and I'm going to ruin your day slightly. No. No! <laughs> John, can you just fart off? No, I don't want to... This is the last movie that he ever made. He literally died like 12 days after they filmed this. So Thorne follows Saul's body. He gets to the, the processing plant where he eventually he solves the mystery. What I love... About him blowing the, the, the lid wide open on this entire project is that he just says it in public. There's no proof that anybody picked up the message, that it got spread out, that anybody listened to him. But just the fact that he said it out loud and all the bad guys are dead, everything's going to be fine. Well, he says it to his boss. Well, he says it to his boss, a boss who was also trying to cover up the, the investigation. Is also essentially in the pocket of Soylent Green. I guess it's just a bleak film. <laughs> I know. I was I was thinking about that as we got to the end. Does this actually end on an uplifting note? I think we're supposed to assume that you know everybody finds out what it is and n nobody eats Soylent Green anymore. But I don't think so. You don't think so? People got to eat. Do you think that? What Charlton... are they going to do? How are they going to fix poverty just because they don't want to eat what the food is? What else are they going to do? I don't think the don't status know. quo changes at all. You don't think people stop eating Soylent Green after that? And they starve. It's food. <laughs> it's America, Kim. They're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're going to well, grow some fucking lettuce. Where? I don't know. On what pro like on what land? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like it's it seems like it has a good ending, like a nice happy ending. Everything goes back to you know to being great and nobody eats people anymore. But you're right. Everybody dies. I think everybody dies. I don't or think, they keep eating it. I don't think the 1973 audience was necessarily looking at the movie like that. Mm. I think this was a happy ending. Because I also don't... Like, in a modern film, I would say Charlton Heston dies. Charlton Heston doesn't make oh, it Oh, I think hospital. he dies. I don't think so. Because as, as far as old movies go, if you get stabbed or shot once, you're dead. He got stabbed and shot a few... Or he got shot a few times, and he's still pulling through. I don't think there's a he died on a gurney on the way to the hospital ending for Charlton Heston's character. I think if you can make it more than 30 seconds after being shot, you live forever in a, in a movie in the 70s. I don't know. That hand was covered in blood. And they, sh they like, closed in on it. Like I love that shot. They closed in on his hand, and then we cut to the valley, and it's like his hand was a flower. Yeah, a flower of death. So I think he died. A flower of death. <laughs> That's the image from the scene where Saul dies. So I assume I that he dies. I always assumed he died. I guess I didn't. Uh, I do want to talk about some of the effects and the stunts in this film <laughs> maybe it's just a 70s thing but i think a lot of people got injured in the making of this film there's a lot of scenes when 
people are being scooped up by like dump trucks and tossed in and people there's no cuts people are tossed in <laughs> and there's a scene there's a few people like he's fighting some honchos inside when he's infiltrating the warehouse and people oh, are dropping yeah. and falling and that doing... guy falls like 30 feet onto his face and there are long cuts like there's that that one where he's fighting some guy in the rafters and then he pushes the guy over he slides down a chain that's hanging but then he still falls like 15 feet onto a moving conveyor belt it looked rough there are no cuts yeah that scene where the the dumpsters are picking people up i love i love the idea of a shootout inside a crowd it, it works great people are getting and people get fucking murdered and scooped and scooped people get scooped <laughs> and squished and squished and uh, and all is right at the end so here's a question i have for you do you think the people that are scooped in the riot are turned into soylent i would think so yeah. I, th- I think with 40 million people in, in a world like this, they're never seen again. So, yeah, sure, you do have a group of people that are being euthanized nicely, quietly. I know, like, blindly. I think that makes the company really evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, That's they are taking even... people off the street. What's to stop them from just picking people off the stairs? Like, one day you wake up and you're like, hey, I don't have to spite my way down the stairs today. Way to go, mayor. And, uh, yeah, it just turns out that you're eating those people that were on the stairs for lunch. Yeah, the funniest cut in this whole film, and it's not funny, it's funny because because it's terrible, is the they have that romantic scene between him and... Oh, the furniture. The girl. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't have a name, I swear, She has right? to have a name. Him and his love interest, and they have this passionate moment where... Is that where they're having consensual, or is it, like, odd consensual? There's odd consensual, and then later on in that scene, consensual. Where okay. she's like, you should stay, I'll make you an egg. We'll turn the air conditioning up. <laughs> And then it immediately cuts to him going to the church, and on the front steps of the church is a dead woman yeah. with an infant tethered to her wrist. Yeah. And he takes the tether off, he picks up the kid, and basically goes inside the church and hands it to the first nun he sees. No words are exchanged. So dark. That mother definitely becoming food. But it probably it's just such a good little glimpse of that universe, whereas he's a police officer, he probably has to do this all the time, mm-hmm. and that nun probably has to take in orphans all the time, but they, they don't even need to say anything at that point. And it's cut from a scene where they're just laughing in a shower, like, ho, 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 life is so grand! And then it's just awful, and that's, oh, it's so dark. Yeah, there is no in-between, which, again, fitting for our times. So, ratings... I really liked this film. Oh, yeah, totally. I thought it felt a little long at the end. It's just because it's 70s, and there was some really long periods where there was no score. Yeah. Especially when he was running around the warehouse. It was really effective. It was really creepy. Keeps you on the edge of your seat a little Um, bit. The filming is really great. On top of the fact that the story and the universe is great, there's some really great camera work. When Saul is walking through that library. Oh, that, yeah, um, where it lingers in an aisle while he's looking down it and cuts to this. And yeah, cuts to that. and the camera crawls through the room, but it's it's a smart camera. It stops and pauses yeah. and stuff. It's very cool. How brilliant also is it that all of the, like, the elderly people that have made it this far, the ones that care to keep about the, the information. Yeah, the preservation. They're the only ones that remember the world as it was. Yeah, so cool. So I'm going to go with a three and a half out of four. Okay. I, in my gut, want to say three out of four. Um, I don't really have a reason why. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I think I, I think three out of four is fair, and that's how I'm gonna sit with it. I'm surprised that you like this so much. I thought it was a lot more disposable than it was because as a kid, when I was watching it, all I cared about was that scene where he finds out it's people. Yeah, and watching it as an adult and seeing how smart the film is and how 
effective it is at showing this really bleak world that is dystopian, but it mirrors the issues of our own. Yeah, I don't think any of the, the furniture concubine stuff ever hit me whatsoever. No, I was just, I think I was just too young to get any of those messages. Yeah. And it's very smart. <laughs> young people should watch it. Yeah, millennials, listen up. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Put your widgets down. What are they called? Widgets? What are the fingers... Spinners. Fidget spinners. Fidget spinners. <laughs> Put them down. Fidget spinner. Oh my god. Cease your fidgeting. Oh fuck. And watch Soylent Green. It's a good movie. It's really good. It's better than Planet of the Apes. I'll say it. All right. So Soylent Green wins by math. Fine. Always by math. I mean, it's fitting. I'll give it. I think it deserves it. To say this... that the stuff is better than Soylent Green seems weird. Uh, but yeah. They both are really effective at conveying their messages. I think Soylent Green does it with really dark tones. <laughs> and the stuff is comedic about it. They're both different films, but they both are really effective. Um, they're both enjoyable. And we want you guys to go vote on our Twitter poll, at NOFS Podcast, which film do you think is better? Which one did you like more? The Stuff or Soylent Green? This show is listener-supported. Head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to find out about all the cool bonus content and swag that you can get for as little as 50 cents per episode. And as well, if you want to make a one-time donation, you can buy your very own Nightmare on Film Street t-shirt or hoodie at nofspodcast.com. But that's it from us this week. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.